want to say a uh, welcome to those of you who are new here, new in the last couple of months. Uh, my name is Alex, and uh, for those of you who are new, you might not know that we are one church in two locations. Uh, Jaime is the primary person here in Pittsburgh. I'm primarily up at North Chatham, and uh, every couple of months we switch uh, trading places. Uh, they allow me to come south of the Hall River, which is like, you know, the dividing line, the great uh, wall of the Hall River. So I am uh, down here today. Jaime's up at North Chatham, and uh, so glad to be here, see some old friends, met some new folks here as well today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first First time here, we are so glad you've been expecting you, actually. And what we are all about is connection, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Uh, if you are just joining us, we're in the home stretch of a summer series called Signature Moments. Almost all of us have a friend or family member that we know and love well, and there's almost always uh, these stories that we tell and retell, right? These signature moments that we have with them, these signature stories that demonstrate something of their personality, something we love about them, even their quirks or things that drive us a little crazy. We, we tell these stories over and over again, right? God has his own signature stories, these signature moments. And so all summer long, we've gone from Genesis, we're going to go all the way through to Revelation, looking at these signature moments about how God meets people at different points along their journey and how they respond faithfully. And so what we're, look, what we're trying to do is get a sense of how does God meet people? And what does it mean to respond faithfully? Because here's, here's the bottom line. When God's signature activity meets faithful response, it creates a signature moment. And that signature moment, they, they unleash redemption, Grace, beauty, truth, justice, righteousness, not self-righteousness, real righteousness into a broken and weary world. And so all summer long, we're practicing. What, and we're asking two questions. We have two goals. One is, what does God's signature activity look like? like because you don't want to miss it, right? You don't wanna, and you don't want to resist it either because that can happen too, right? Sometimes God moves and God works and you're like, I'm not sure I want to get on board with what God's up to. So we don't want to miss it. We don't reject it. We don't want to ignore it or push back. We want to grow in learning what does God's signature activity look like? And then secondly, what does faithful response look like? A whole different, whole wide range of faithful responses that we've seen throughout these texts and the scriptures and the stories that we're looking at. And uh, we want to grow in cultivating those sort of signature faithful responses to God's signature activity and over the course of this series, we've been inviting you to feed back to us. What are you hearing as we look at these different stories? What are you experiencing? What stands out to you? And back there on the corkboard there, you got signature moments. that You, you used to be able to see it said signature moments back there, but now it's just covered in note cards, which is so great, right, of God's signature actions and what faithful response looks like. And here is a word cloud from both campuses of the things that we're seeing, right, as a church. The God's signature actions are in gold and our responses are in blue. So here you can see, like, God's signature is love. Love, warning, truth. He rebukes. He's got compassion. He's strength. He's accommodating. Gives second chances. Some great things that God does. And then some faithful responses look like you know, humility, rededication, courage, sacrifice, worthiness, freedom, loyalty, submit, embrace, honesty. These are some just great. I mean, people, people say I put too much on my slides, okay? That is a lot of words on one slide. We're going to continue to kind of collect what are you hearing and how do we grow in responding faithfully to God's signature activity? Because signature moments don't just happen to individuals. Signature moments happen to families, happen to whole church communities. And so we're basically asking God, what's your word to Chatham Community Church? Summer 2023, we're going to continue to add to this as uh, this morning goes on. Now, it's summertime, and so here's what that means on my social media news feed. Every single one of my friends is going on perfect vacations all the time. 
And on those perfect exotic locations all the time, they're having nothing but perfect moments with their children who are perfectly behaved at every moment of said vacation. In fact, all they do the whole vacation is walk arm in arm, gaze into each other's eyes, talking about how much they love each other and how perfect this whole experience is. And they just take pictures constantly of how perfect their lives are on the perfect vacation every single moment. I know because I've seen your vacations. That's what happened to you, right? The whole thing is designed for you to show us your highlight reel of how perfect your life is and for me to feel like my life is pathetic compared to yours. One of the dangers of doing a signature moment series is we're picking out highlight reels, right, of the whole Bible. And what we don't want anyone to feel like is your life is pathetic, your spiritual life is pathetic because you haven't had an experience like this, right? These are once-in-a-lifetime experiences, even once-in-a-whole-generation experiences, right? So we don't want anyone to feel like you're spiritually pathetic because you haven't had a vision of God, right, that we looked at at Isaiah a few weeks ago. But what we, here's what we want. We don't, the, the, the goal of this series is not just that we would have signature moments, right? One or two moments in your life where God just sort of intersects your life. Here's the goal. The goal is that we might live signature lives, Right? Signature lives, where we live lives of faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage, where God's grace and God's truth is affecting not just these major decisions in our lives, but how do you parent? How do you have conflict with your spouse? How do you deal with the in-laws who drive you crazy? How is God and God's grace and truth intersecting your life, not just in the big moments, but in everyday small moments? How do we live signature lives where God's signature is touching every part of our lives? That's the goal, really, as we talk about these signature moments, is how do we identify and participate with those things? And we're getting, today we're looking at the life of Timothy from the New Testament. And basically, we're looking at these different stories, these different elements, these different descriptions of Timothy's life and how Timothy kind of met Paul and kind of the, the call on his life. And we're, and we're gonna take some cues from Timothy about what a signature life might look like as we pull from these different passages from Acts and First and Second Timothy. Now, if you're new to the Bible or new to faith, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, the Apostle Paul was traveling around the Mediterranean area between five and 10 years and beyond after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's starting churches. He's traveling around starting churches and starting churches. And along the way, he picks up Timothy, who becomes basically a son to him, a son in the faith. And they travel together and start churches together. And eventually, he leaves Timothy at a church called Ephesus, which we have the book of Ephesians from. And, uh, and as we see Paul and Timothy's interaction, there's both description of how they meet and letters that Paul writes directly to Timothy. We get a sense of what makes for Timothy's signature life. What makes for a life that is shaped by God start to finish. And Timothy's signature life starts where all of our lives start with. It starts with his family of origin. It starts with sort of his place of where he was born and how he grew up, right? Uh, Acts 16.1, Chris just read this, right? Paul came to Derby, then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And then here's 2 Timothy 1. Here's Paul's letter to Timothy there. I, he, Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded, now lives in you also. We're talking about family here, right? Family. Now, family's a little bit of a loaded term, isn't it? Nobody's got a perfect family. Ain't nobody got a perfect family. But not all dysfunction is distributed equally. Right? Some of you grew up in basically healthy families. Like they were, it was a gift to you, it was a blessing to you, and you're like so grateful for your family of origin. Some of you have spent your whole life trying to recover from your family of origin. That's not a joke, right? Some of you have spent your whole lives trying to recover from your family of origin. But here we have, in Timothy's story, 
His story starts where all of our stories start, which is at the very beginning, his family of origin, that context he's got no control over. So as we're looking at Timothy's story about what a signature life looks like, let's just call this God's signature is our, his sovereign foundations. That is the context of origin, the family of origin. You have zero control over, right? You're born into your family, but that God can use and does use for his good purposes, right? Family of origin, sovereign foundations. Here's God at work. Now, here's the, this is really, really important. Your family of origin does not have to be perfect for God to use it. That's good news, amen? All right, but let's, let's talk about sort of the, the, the good stuff in Timothy's life. There's, there's some positive elements to his life. When, by the time Paul meets Timothy and Lystra, faith is already at work in his family, right? He talks about his, his mother uh, Eunice and his grandmother Lois, right? There's, a, there's faith already at work in Timothy's life. Now, when Paul meets Timothy in Acts 16, the passage that Chris read today, it's his second time to Lystra. The first time was a couple chapters earlier in the book of Acts, and here's how it went down. Paul shows up in Lystra, he starts preaching the gospel, and likely Lois and Eunice become Christians at that visit, the first time he comes through Lystra. Maybe Timothy too, he's a kid at that point. Very, very young man, probably a kid. But here's what happens as Paul continues to preach at Lystra. A mob starts to form. They gather around Paul. They drag him and they stone him thinking he's dead. They drag him outside the city and leave him for dead. And then the disciples gather around him. We can assume they prayed over him. They tend to him. Paul revives and he keeps walking. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went to a town where a group of people tried to stone me to death, I would give that town a zero-star Yelp review. And I would never go back there ever again. But Paul is not one to back down from a challenge. And so a couple years later, Acts 16, he goes back to Lystra, the same town where they tried to stone him to death. And that's where he meets Timothy, as now still a young man, but a little bit older. And faith is at work in Timothy's life. In fact, Acts 16, 2, that Paul read earlier, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Timothy's a very young man. The church, I mean, there's only a handful of people who are Christians in the whole world at this point, right? I mean, super, super small churches and church in uh, Lystra and Iconium. But Timothy has, Timothy has already, as a very young man, demonstrated tremendous faith. And do you know why he's got tremendous faith? Because his mama and his grandmama have invested in him. Mom and dad, grandparents, we have a tremendous opportunity and responsibility to proclaim the good news to children and grandchildren, don't we? Tremendous opportunity and privilege to tell our kids the good news. I got four teenagers, pray for me. What a tremendous privilege and opportunity for us to tell our kids about how much God loves them in Jesus. And so we introduce them to the gospel, not just so they can, I mean, I hear this all the time, and hey, this is you, I'm not, I, don't, I don't mean to be too harsh or too critical, but sometimes parents are like, well, we've been out of church for a while, but I want our kids to have, to have some idea and make their own choices. My friends, if God put on flesh and died for our sins to redeem the whole world, to save us from death itself, that we might live forever in his presence, is not just another option among many, it is the option. It is the truth. And it's not just like whatever our kids choose is fine. We are going to do everything we can to tell them the great news. This is the turning point in all of human history. It changes everything in this life and it changes everything for all eternity. Please hear me. The gospel is not just one among many. It is the thing that changes everything. And so we tell it to our children and to our grandchildren. And this is really important, really, really important. At the end of the day, we are responsible to our children and grandchildren. We are not responsible for our children and grandchildren. 
right? A lot of us have parent guilt, grandparent guilt, because our kids aren't walking with the Lord, and we tried, and they're, they're growing ups, and they're kind of walked away and drifted away, but listen, 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 listen. We are responsible to our kids and grandkids. We're not responsible for the decisions they make at the end of the day. They're adults, right? And they have to stand before the Lord to make their own decisions. And so I, I want to call us to be people who are faithful to our children and to our grandchildren. And for those of you who are investing in that and doing that, I've talked to, I mean, for some of you, grandparenting is like a full-time job. Blessings on you. Thanks for your hard work. And my prayer, my hope for all of us is that we might invest. And you know what? Maybe you're raising up the next Timothy, who's going to lead the church to the next generation. And you know what? Here's, really, here's something that happens really cool every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, we have Loises and Eunices here at Chatham Community Church that aren't investing in their own kids. They're investing in your kids. Isn't that great back there in Chatham Kids? Every Sunday, we got Loises and Eunices who are investing in your kids. And so we say thanks to everyone who works in Chatham Kids. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who works in Chatham Kids. And if you want to be part of raising up the next generation, some of us just like to complain about the next generation. <laughs> I like that. That's fun. I've got teenagers. I can complain about them all I want. We like to complain about the next generation. If you want to help the next generation, I invite you to come be a part of what God's doing in Chatham Kids. Lois and Eunice have raised up Timothy in the faith. And by the time Paul meets him, his second time through Lystra, he is a man who is a young man, a very young man, who is making a difference already and demonstrating leadership. So God's signature foundation, right? His signature there in the foundations. Thing, context of origin, family of origin, you've got no control over. That includes the positive elements, people who are Christians, role models, experiences that shape you in life-giving ways. And this is really important. Sometimes there are Christians who are doing this intentionally, introducing you to faith and teaching about the Lord. And sometimes it's not Christians, right? Just a great teacher, a great coach, right? Can you think of people in your life that you had no control over who are a gift to you, whether they knew the Lord or not? God uses all kinds of people to shape us in positive ways, right? Who are the people that you could celebrate, give thanks for, that are part of your sovereign foundations that have shaped you in really positive ways? And of course, the flip side of that is, where has God placed you to be part of someone else's sovereign foundation? Where has God put you as a grandparent, a friend, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, someone to come alongside, that there's a kid, a child, a teenager that might look back many years from now and say, thank God that that person was in my life. I had no control over them coming into my life, but they're part, that you might be a part of someone else's sovereign foundation story. Sovereign foundations, God uses these positive elements, Lois, Eunice, in Timothy's life. But here's the deal. As much as we would all love for our foundational stories and experiences to be nothing but positive experiences, it doesn't exactly happen that way, does it? All of our foundations have cracks in them, including Timothy's. So Timothy's got his own story of brokenness where things aren't all sunshine and dandelions and roses and bunnies and, and, and puppies. There's hard things in his story. Here's one of the things. Here's, here's one of the challenges in Timothy's life. Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer, but his father was Greek. Tim, so here's one of the cracks in, in the foundation. Timothy's household is, is a spiritually divided household. Mother, Jewish, becomes a Christian. His dad does not become a Christian. His dad remains Greek. His dad remains a pagan, worshiping the pagan gods, right? So he's in a spiritually divided household. That's part of the tension in Timothy, young Timothy's household. And the way that this is written, in the verb tense, it sounds like Timothy's dad passed away. And Timothy's a very, very young man. He's already lost his dad. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a gaping wound where his father should still be. Some of you lost your dad at a young age. Man, that's such a hard, it's a hard thing. It's a hard and a hard thing to lose a kid, lose a dad at such a young age. So Timothy's foundation has these cracks in it, spiritually divided house, and his dad has passed away. But do you know what God is doing you know what God can do and what God does do. God redeems those pain points, these negative experiences that God uses for his purposes and his good. God is 
masterful at redeeming these pain points. So let's, take about, let's talk about the fact that Timothy's family of origin was spiritually divided. Some of you grew up in households that were spiritually divided, where, where someone was interested in faith, someone wasn't interested in faith, or they were pursuing different types of faith or different expressions of it. You know, that can be challenging and cause attentions to figure things out. So Timothy grows up and a Jewish Christian mom and a Greek pagan dad. And do you know where God puts him? As an adult, he's leading the church at Ephesus. There are two crowds at Ephesus. There's a Jewish crowd that's become Christians and a pagan crowd that's become Christians. And you know what? There's all these tensions between the Jews and the pagans because they've never worshiped together before. All these conflicts between the Jews and the pagans. They're all trying to follow Jesus, but they all, want, they all have different expressions and different expectations of what that looks like. So who's best positioned to mediate between Jews and pagans who are all trying to follow Jesus? Timothy who grew up in a pagan house and a Jewish house, who has language, appreciation for both traditions, and can speak faithfully to both sides. God redeems Timothy's cracked foundations, his spiritually divided house, by giving him, putting him in a place to use that experience for his good and his purposes. Second thing, Timothy, of course, loses his dad at a very young age, heartbreaking, difficult. But when Paul comes along at Still a young age for Timothy. Maybe, just maybe, Timothy is more open to leaving home and following Paul for the adventure of his lifetime because dad's no longer around. And maybe, just maybe, Paul becoming a spiritual father to Timothy is, is all part of Paul stepping into that void that was left behind by his dad being gone in order to parent Timothy, to faithfully come alongside Timothy and invite him onto the adventure of his life. God can redeem our cracked foundations for his purposes and it's good. Now, let's just be clear. This is not a sitcom. And everything doesn't wrap up in 26 minutes, right? With like a nice bow on top. There, there are things in your life, there are things in your past that, will, that, that you will never make sense of, that will never make sense in your, for, not to the end of your life, right? So not everything wraps up nicely and neatly. However, God does redeem even the cracked stuff from our past to be part of his magnificent future. And so we see this is kind of, Part of Timothy's signature life are these sovereign foundations, the good things and the hard things along the way. Now again, one of those hard things is that he lost his father at a young age. Timothy lost his dad at a really young age. And so Paul comes along and invites him on the journey of his lifetime. And my friends, I got a question for you. Have you ever met the right person at exactly the right time in your life? Have you ever had one of those encounters with someone who was just the right, it was the right person, it was right, maybe it's the person you're sitting next to you, maybe you married them, right? Or maybe it was a boss, or maybe it was someone who introduced you to a cause or a project or an issue in the world that now like, man, if, I, if I'd never met that person, I would have never ended up here. Or maybe it was the person who invited you back to church after a long time away for the first time or told you about Christ at a moment when you most needed it. Have you ever had the right person, the right time, right place, and it was clearly a God moment? Timothy has that with Paul. He's just old enough to leave the home and start traveling with Paul. God has these other signature. Another one of God's signature moments in Timothy's life is this divine encounter. A divine encounter that comes with an invitation to a new direction. A divine encounter, right? Timothy meets Paul, just the right moment. To say, and, and Paul says, come with me, let's go on this ride. And again, just like the sovereign foundations, you have very little control over divine encounters, right? I would love a divine encounter about every 10 days. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? We have very little control over divine encounters, but you can, but you can pray for them. Maybe a prayer sounds like, God, I need, a, I need someone to mentor me, help me out. Maybe you're like a 
young mom or moving into retirement and there's a transition in your life and you feel overwhelmed and unsure how to manage or negotiate or maybe you're fighting some sort of medical situation. And man, you, God, I just need someone in my life who's older and wiser, who's been through this, that can help me through this. God, would you send someone my way? Or maybe you're just feeling restless or bored or maybe you're feeling tempted in some way that you know is not good for you. And like, God, I just need, would you give me someone or something or an opportunity to move in a new direction? Now, of course, one of the challenges with that is if God sends someone to your life or an opportunity to your life, you gotta be willing to move. And not all of us are willing to move, right? Some of us, some of us don't like what's happening right now, but it's better than the unknown out there. And so when God sends you a divine appointment, here's the deal, you gotta be ready to move with it. If Timothy says no, he misses on the right of his life. He misses God's purposes for his whole life. If Timothy says no, here. But as Paul comes through with his divine encounter, Timothy is just open enough to take this step and to move into it. And so my friends, I wanna invite you to pray and ask for, gosh, God, would you give me a divine encounter? Would you send someone across my path? Or if something happened recently where you're like, yeah, God totally just opened up that door, made a way. Maybe it's, it's time for celebration and thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for opening up that door. Now, so far it's all been stuff that Timothy has no control over, right? You got God's sovereign foundations, no control over his family. You got the divine encounter with, with Paul and the invitation to go travel, nothing that Timothy has control over. But as we start to follow the Timothy story, there's a, an important turn in terms of Timothy's faithful response. And the first faithful response Timothy does and takes on, it's gonna be a slightly painful, it's gonna hurt a lot. Acts 16. Verse three, Paul wanted to take Timothy along the journey, so he circumcised him uh, because of the Jews who lived in that area because they all knew his father was Greek. In order to do ministry to the Jews, by the Jews, the Jews had to know you were circumcised. And so the only way that Timothy goes on the signature ride of his life is if he's willing to make a literally painful sacrifice. There's a faithful response. Painful sacrifice. Not always physically painful. <laughs> but in every story that is full of God's signature, all throughout the scriptures and then after the scriptures, there is some place where God says, I need you to sacrifice something. I need you to lay it down. Jesus called the disciples. They dropped their nets. They leave the family business. They leave security and safety behind to follow Jesus. Jesus had intersected Saul's life. He became Paul. He had to leave his career and his community, his faith, uh, his zeal and Leave it all behind and follow Jesus. Timothy has to get circumcised. There are painful sacrifices required at certain points along the way. Not at every point, but at certain points along the way, painful sacrifices are required. I've been meeting with a, a couple of the last eight, nine months or, or so, and the man is a, is a really successful man. He's very successful, but he's kind of a jerk. Like, he's aggressive, he's all armored up, he's charged, he's a workaholic, doesn't work, like, working 60, 70 hours a day, he's already sacrificed one marriage and a set of kids on workaholism, he's about ready to sacrifice a second marriage and a set of kids on workaholism, he gets things done, the bosses love him, but he's a jerk, and, and he is self-confessed. About nine months ago, he got caught in an affair, and for the first time in his life, for the first time in his life, he's not armored up and a jerk. For the first time in his life, he's broken. And what he's done the last eight months is he's made so many painful sacrifices of his ego, his pride. He went on a, a fair recovery weekend, spent like two or three days at boot camp for fair recovery. He's investing 
hours and hours and hours in therapy, dealing with his abusive past as a kid. He's apologizing, making amends to everybody, his kids, his ex-wife, his current kids. He is sacrificing everything, everything he once held dear. He's like, this is garbage. It has destroyed my life and destroyed so many others. I am willing to lay it down and become a different man. He said to me a couple, a couple weeks ago, he's like, I have never cried before in my life as an adult. He's like, I cry every single day now over who I was, pleading for God to change me and to save my family from the ruin I brought to us. It's not been cheap, not been easy. Painful sacrifice. Laying down his pride and his ego, his old ways of thinking, his old ways of doing, his old ways of living, to be the man God made him to be. It's the first time in his life he's ever had faithful response. He's praying all the time, engaging in scripture. It's beautiful. Is there a painful sacrifice God is inviting you into to go on the ride of your life? Now here's the thing, you don't know when you're making that sacrifice, you've got no idea what's on the other side of it. Timothy, when he makes the sacrifice of circumcision, he's got no idea he's gonna end up in the Bible and we're gonna read about him 2,000 years later. He's got no idea. All he knows is in order to take God up on the, on the opportunity to go with Paul and go on the ride of his life, he's gonna have to make a painful sacrifice. Is there a painful sacrifice God is calling you to make right here, right now, today, in order to take him up on the signature life he has for you? Now, once Timothy starts on this journey, we get snippets and pictures of what his life looked like and kind of what the thing we see over and again, over and over again throughout Timothy's life and Paul's letters to him is how Timothy was really connected to community and embedded in community. Here's, first Tim, here's 2 Timothy uh, 1. He said, I, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. So Paul celebrates this crazy thing that normal human beings can pray over someone and the Holy Spirit can be poured through laying on of hands to release a new gift, a spiritual gift in someone. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. Normal people. Like community, like human beings being a conduit of God's spirit to release a spiritual gift. But it's not just Paul who's got the superpower. Uh, he says this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle, well, prophecy is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is to speak truth about a person or situation, sometimes about the future, sometimes about the, the present. Kind of just pro- prophetic word is to be able to speak the truth. So Timothy has had people, Paul laid on the hands, and other people have spoken prophecies over him. Like pro- prophecies about who he is and who he's going to become. And Paul cites these words from the community to Timothy to keep him strong when things are hard. He's in Ephesus, and there's challenges, there's conflicts, and he says, remember what the crowd, what the people around you have said about you, that you are to be a man of God. And so one of the things we see from Timothy and in this experience is, is a faithful response of Timothy is that he's embedded in community that has permission to bless you and to challenge you. Timothy is embedded in the community. Paul, the community, that has permission to speak words of life and correction over him. And this can be so, so hard for so many of us, right? It's gonna be so hard for so many of us to be embedded in a part of community that has this kind of permission. This is hard for a number of reasons. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is in trouble. Family's in trouble, kids are in trouble, work's in trouble. And, it's, and here's the thing, and this is like an American epidemic. You don't want to ask for help, amen? You don't want to ask for help. Now, this is true in, in America in general. It's a, it's a particularly big problem in Chatham County. Some of you moved to three to 300 acres to have no neighbors. You don't want to be around people. People smell bad. They get in your way. They trip you up. Some of you live in Chatham County because you want the room and the space, and you don't want to be bothered with people. And so the last thing you want to do is ask for help, even if you need it. And so this, being embedded in community has permission 
to correct you and to bless you, really, really hard. I meet new people at Chatham Community Church all the time. And occasionally, there's someone who shows up at Chatham Community Church. Someone invited them, a friend invited them, and it's clear they're in trouble. Like, it's clear. They, they, they share just enough. Their marriage isn't doing well. They're not doing well. Their health isn't doing well. Things are struggling in free fall. And here's the thing. They have shown up at church. A friend has invited them at church. And they need it. They need Jesus. Jesus' power, grace, truth, love. They need a community to come alongside them in the hard days, the dark days. Put the marriage back together, heal, repair. They are at the right place at the right time. This is exactly where they need to be in their darkest hours. And you know what I see all the time? People look at that option, that invitation right there in front of them, and they walk away from it. Don't need that help. I'll do it myself. Don't want to be a part of that. Sounds too hard. I got this. You know what that is? That is pride from the pit of hell. I got this. I can do it. It's all me. I don't need help. Man, I can't tell you how many marriages have gotten shipwrecked on that same rock of pride. I can't tell you how many kids have been ruined over that same rock of pride. I can't tell you how many careers have been destroyed because people were unwilling to submit to a community of people and a community of grace that would help them to make their way, especially in their hardest moments because they were too proud to get help. Don't do that to yourself. Don't let Satan do that. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy you and everyone around you. And when you allow pride in your life, you give him a foothold to ruin you and ruin everyone around you. Don't do it, my friends. Some of you are super independent. That's not, nothing wrong with that. But you're going to have to find a way to be embedded in genuine community that has permission to bless you and correct and challenge you in the moments when you need it most. Those other reasons why we have struggles with community. Some of you have church hurt and church baggage, right? Aren't, aren't religious people like the worst sometimes? Religious people are totally the worst. They're terrible. I mean, it's religious, self-righteous religious people that killed Jesus, okay? Literally. Religious people are the worst. Like, religious self-righteousness is the worst. And some of you have had serious church baggage. Welcome to Chattanooga Church. Welcome home. If you've got church baggage, ask around. There's probably someone with a matching set that looks just like yours. <laughs> All kinds of people here at Chatham Community Church have church baggage. We have a bunch of people doing church rehab, faith rehab, or both here at Chatham Community Church. And you are welcome here. Welcome here. We are so, so glad that you have taken the risk to come to us. And we want to honor and respect and take your time to get healthy and well. Just know the goal of you getting healthy and well is for you to get back in to a healthy church community where you're embedded in community. People have permission to bless you and challenge you. Other things that work against sort of us becoming genuinely embedded in spiritual community is just being a consumer and being busy, right? Being a consumer and being busy. That's the American dream. Be a consumer and be busy. See, here's the thing. We were made to worship God, love people, use things. Instead, we love things, use people, and ignore God altogether. We were made to worship God, love people, use things. Instead, we love things, use people, and ignore God altogether. That's going to mediate against you being a part of a genuinely embedded, healthy community. Here's the reality about people. They smell bad. Some of them tell bad jokes. Some of them are gonna grate up against you. And it's very, very inconvenient. But here's the reality. Community is both inconvenient and essential to live a signature life full of God. Community, relationships, essential, not optional to live a signature life full of God's grace, God's truth. What's your next step in that space? Timothy has all these elements of a signature life, right? He's got this sovereign foundations. He's got this context of origin, kind of good and bad stuff, God's, the divine encounters, the painful sacrifice he makes, and then he's embedded in community all along the way. Now, in light of all these things, 
Paul gives a whole bunch of commands that Chris read when he read the scriptures earlier, the first, second Timothy passage, okay? So here's the deal. If you don't have these things in place in your life already, like if you're not already a Jesus person, if you're not a person already walking in the Jesus way, if you haven't already heard him invite you into this ride of living a life of redemption and purpose and meaning that's full of his spirit. If you're not a part of that, then we're so glad you're here. And what I'm about to read doesn't apply to you. There's a bunch of commands and exhortations and encouragements that Paul gives to Timothy that don't apply to you yet. It's okay. You can, you can sit back and sit this out. These are good commands. They're good exhortations, but you got, deeper, you got bigger, more important things to fry that are up here on the board. Trusting God with, the, with your past, asking him to redeem it, work it, walking in the power and the grace and love of Jesus like asking for forgiveness of sins and confessing that, like all that's all part of the preamble. But Timothy has done these things. And if you've done some of these things, if you're kind of a part of these things, then these exhortations that Paul rattles off apply to you. So here's what I'm gonna do. There's a number of them and I'm just gonna gather them up on one slide. I'm gonna read through them. And if you're a Jesus follower, I think you've got, there's one command for you today. So I want, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read through these commands, the different commands that Paul gives to Timothy. And I'm gonna invite you to kind of just close your eyes and have a prayerful heart and, and listen. Is there one word, one phrase, one of these commands that, is, that you're here for today that uh, you need to hear, that God would have for you, okay? So I'm gonna read through these uh, slowly. I invite you to kind of close your eyes, receive one of these as a word from the Lord, these signature exhortations that Paul gives to Timothy. Fight the battle well, holding on to the faith. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Take hold of eternal life. Fan into flame the gift of God. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Join in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. If there's one that stands out to you, I invite you to receive that prayerfully and then offer that back up to the Lord in thanksgiving and maybe offer to move if God's calling you to move or to do something in response. Amen. Close up with Timothy's signature life. He closes with these exhortations to faithfully walk in the power and the way of Jesus. I'll tell you what, these things, they make for a beautiful life, a signature life. This is a dance between God's actions and faithful response over and over and over again. You cultivate this, it honors God, it blesses people, it makes you a man or woman that is, that is a blessing to you and to the people around you. This is, these, are the, these are the pictures of a signature life. But it's all built on one thing deeper that we celebrate today as we move to our time of communion. And it's, there's, a, there's a quick phrase that Paul wrote to Timothy that I want to highlight about Jesus' signature moment. His signature moment that we celebrate with the communion elements here today. 1 Timothy 6, as Paul's encouraging him to be faithful in the sight of God who gives life to, to everything. And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame till the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is Jesus' signature moment. Staring down death, crucifixion, with the weight of the world on his shoulders and with all the sins of the world about to be put on his shoulders. He stands before Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman authority. And Pontius Pilate's puzzled by him. He's trying to goad him in defending himself. And you know what Jesus won't do? Jesus will not defend himself. You know what the good confession that Jesus makes is? Jesus' good confession is he doesn't say anything. He's here 
to give his life for the life of the world. That's his confession. He submits to God's will and God's plan for his life, even though it costs everything to redeem the whole world. And so Jesus' signature moment is what we celebrate here today with communion, the grace and mercy that washes away all our sin and unlocks eternal life for the whole world, for you and for me and for all those who will call on his name. A couple hours before the signature moment with Pontius Pilate, Jesus is in a small room with his best friends celebrating the Passover. And the Passover is a very scripted experience. There's all these kind of like call and responses and all that kind of thing. But Jesus breaks the script in the Passover meal at the very end. He takes bread and he breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you, given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup. He says, this cup is my blood shed for you, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Disciples had no idea what he was talking about. They just kind of go with it, but the night unfolds like a nightmare. Jesus is betrayed by one of the 12, run through a mock trial, including in front of Pilate, where he makes this good confession of not defending himself. He's flogged, hung up on a cross to die. The disciples scatter in a fog of fear, anxiety, shame, guilt, shock, horror. On the third day, God raised him from the dead, King of kings, Lord of lords, the redeemer of the whole earth. And so this morning, we celebrate his, his signature moment, not just the signature moment for Jesus, the signature moment for the whole world, the forgiveness of sins here in Jesus Christ. We're gonna move to these communion elements here in just a minute. Before we do that, we've been inviting you throughout the course of the series to gather up what you're hearing. And so I wanna, get, I wanna invite you to get the, uh, the note cards that are scattered around. Grab a note card that's around you and uh, there's a pen or pencil either on the seat pocket, either in the seat pocket in front of you or on the chair. If you're on a folding chair, it's on the, on the folding chairs along the back. And here's what I want you to do as we get ready for communion and move to take communion. I want to invite you to, to respond the way we've been responding throughout this series. That is, on the left side, uh, God's signature from today's passage looks like what? I've, I've given you a few starter words, but maybe you've got some other words you want to write. Uh, maybe you just want to pick up something on Jesus. His signature looks like submission to the cross. Uh, a word, a phrase on the left side. Don't have to write the prompt. Just write God. Just God's signature looks like what? One word. looks like, you know, kind of redeeming our past or at work, right? So one word on God's signature. And on the right side, faithful response looks like what from this passage? What stands out to you? What's the word? that you're hearing, maybe it's painful sacrifice. Maybe it's a willingness to go or uh, walk, step into an invitation. Maybe it's just to receive the body and blood of Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you, before you come up for communion, I wanna invite you to to respond on these note cards. And then um, the band's gonna come up and play. You're gonna have a few minutes of, of time to reflect. And then whenever you're done writing on the note cards, if you're willing to, I'm gonna invite you to, to go to the back and add it on top of the board there where we're capturing kind of God's signature actions and responses. So put it back there and then come up front here to the front of these communion stations, okay? And then get the communion elements and take them back to your seat and then we'll eat and drink together. The bread is gluten-free, the cup is grape juice, so everyone's invited to come and be a part of this whole thing to make it accessible for everyone. And just a quick word about communion. That is if you're a Jesus follower, you've been baptized in, in, in a church somewhere and declare that Jesus is Lord of your life, this meal is for you. If you're not yet a Jesus follower, we're so glad you're here. We just ask you to pass on these elements for now and to consider, what if Jesus' signature moment of redeeming and forgiving the sins of the whole world, what if that signature moment's for you to make today your signature moment of saying yes to a sacrifice for you? 
So I invite you, as the band comes up to, to lead us to, to sing a song, I invite you to jot down the note cards first, post, post those things back, come up to the front, and uh, I invite the band to come up and the station hosts to come up and host. Let me pray over this time. Take your time to reflect, and then we will eat and drink together here in just a few minutes. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your signature moment. Thanks for Timothy's life, for his faithfulness, his willingness to submit to you. Thanks for Paul. Thanks for divine encounters. Thanks that you redeem even broken homes and broken families of origin and hard stuff in our past. Now, Lord Jesus, as we reflect on what your signature activity looks like, what faithful response looks like, and as we come to these elements, we pray, Jesus, that our hearts would be open and soft and teachable to receive the grace and mercy you want to pour out over us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Fill out your card, post it in the back, come up to the front, get the elements, bring it back to your chair. We'll eat and drink together.